This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Good One. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse Dave Fox. Each episode, a comedian comes on to play and discuss one of their jokes, and that's exactly what's about to happen. Our guest this week is Ray Romano. I know, very exciting. Like everyone, I love him. Obviously famous for how he talked about his family in a way that felt fresh when he started out in the late 80s and early 90s, Ray's an absolute master of a sort of conversational tone where it seems like he's just talking, where in fact every bit has been thoroughly polished. This style makes his Netflix special, right here around the corner, feel contemporary in a way that many of the specials of the other comics of his generation don't. This is helped by how it's shot. Where instead of taping a set at some ornate theater filled with his fans, Ray taped two 30-minute drop-in sets in New York City. The joke we talk about, a sort of meditation on his youngest son, Joe, comes in the back half of the second set. May I suggest when you listen, take into account that the laughs are coming from an audience of mostly childless young people. So, here is Ray Romano. How much can a guy take? Are you going to have more kids, you think? You got the boy, right? Yeah, I had the girl first. My youngest is a boy. I have a 16-year-old boy in the house. Oh, anybody got a teenager? No? You probably do, but you don't have the energy to say it. <laughs> I don't know how to describe this kid. I really don't. He brags about things you shouldn't admit to. The other day, he walked through the kitchen, and he looks at us. I haven't showered in four days. <laughs> just, like, just likes to hurt, hurt us. He really likes to hurt us. <laughs> and he's big. He's 6'5", my son. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't shower. <laughs> There's a lot going on, man. There's a lot going on. Yeah, he's big. Plays varsity basketball. I'm not bragging. He's not that good. <laughs> he's, he's not that good. He's not, he's not. He'll get better. He played with a kid. He played one year with this kid who got drafted yesterday in the NBA, Aaron Holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got to play with him. This was cool. He, the, the trainer called our house once and said, Aaron bit Joe in the forehead. They were going up for a layup. Aaron's teeth went into Joe's head. And my wife got, you know, she's upset. Oh, he's going to need stitches. And then she got mad at me, because all I could think was, maybe it's like a Spider-Man bite. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I start going to the games now. <laughs> huh? Maybe Joe can dunk now. At six foot five. God forbid he jumps four inches off the ground and dunks for his father. Make an effort, Joe! <laughs> and now he drives. Why do we give 16-year-olds licenses? My son doesn't care about anything. He called me the other day, he's like, hey, Dad, I'm in the car. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, uh, I guess I'm out of gas right now. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know, Joe? Are you moving? Is the car moving? And I'm over, and I'm over. I put, I put my foot on a pedal, uh, eh, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> all right, well, all right, where are you, Joe? And he's very calm now, he's la-di-da. I'm here, I'm on the 101. The 101 is a five-lane highway. 
nothing. So I assume like anybody would. Oh, you're, you're on the side of the road now? Now I'm in the middle lane right now. What do you mean, Joe? Where's the urgency? And I swear to you, this is the exchange because I'm panicking now. What's the traffic like? Ah, well, behind me it's bad, but it's moving in front of me. I'm gonna kick your ass. I'm gonna kick your ass, Joe, because you need fear. You need fear in your life. And my wife tries to spin it. You know, whatever he does, she puts the spin on it. Well, he doesn't panic, he's zen. He's a very zen-like boy. Like astronauts. Maybe he'll be an astronaut one day. Oh, you think so? Really? I don't want to burst your bubble, but if he can't interpret the gas gauge on a Mazda, nah, he, he ain't getting in the space shuttle. I'll tell you right now. Give that up. My kid is not an astronaut. Unless an astronaut bites him. If an astronaut bites him, then we got a chance. And we are here with the comedian behind the joke you just heard, Ray Romano. Thank you so much. Oh, they heard it. They already heard it. Oh, okay. Cool. Hey, thank you. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about this joke, but also the this time period in which this material was formed. I want to back up even before this joke, before okay. this moment in your life even happened, to this time period. So preparing for this, you know, I, I heard that after Raymond ended, you're like, oh, I can finally relax. And then you couldn't relax. That, <laughs> well, yeah. I could relax if I wanted to uh, uh, medicate myself. Yeah. You, you mean I couldn't sit still? Yeah. Yeah. And then in, in many ways, men of a certain age came out of that sort of anxiety. And then so this material and this joke came in a time period after men of a certain age. Oh, and yeah. So, yeah. you know, considering that where stand up is now definitely like the primary thing you were working on. What did you want from your stand-up in this time period? What did you want out of your stand-up? I don't know if I approach my writing like that, yeah. you know? I mean, look, nowadays it seems what gets attention is when you speak about maybe some social issue or something, social commentary or whatever. You can't, but you can only do what you can do. Yeah. And and <laughs> I, I write about my life and my observations, so... I, I've never, I've never purposely said, okay, I need to write about this. I need to write about that. Most of it, nine, I would say, ninety percent of it comes from something that happens. I experience it. It's funny, and I wonder how can I shape that into a bit. Yeah. Um, so the only thing I wanted from my standup was. New stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it did, what did it mean to have it be your primary outlet again? I mean, let me just yeah. say that my taste may change, my style may change. Yeah. The stuff I wrote about, the, not not the stuff I wrote about, but the way I wrote about it in the beginning of my standup is different than now. You know, I squir I it's very squeamish when I watch some of my early stuff. You know. Before we talk about even just developing it, I want to talk about the time where it happened. Uh, as you mentioned, this just happened to you and your son. He yes. actually did this. You know, comedians, you are, especially you, you're pulling from your life. You are, you, as you live, you are working in a way. You're observing. What huh. was, can you walk me through the moment of this is actually happening, this call's happening, and you realizing this is also material? Yeah. Well, I was at my office when it happened. I think it was my wife who called me and said, Joe's on the 101. 
And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, he's stuck in the middle of the 101. He's out of gas. And he, um, I don't know how long he had his license for. Probably about a year. He might have been, he might have been 17, I guess. And what do you mean? He ran out of gas. Uh, you know, cursors were exchanged. And then um, she said, I don't know. Call him. I was like, I had so many questions. Well, what's happening now? She goes, just we call him, call him. So I call him up, and normally somebody would have, you, normally you could tell the difference between a call, mm-hmm. you know, saying, uh, hey, what do you want for lunch, to a call saying, what are you doing in the middle of the one? You, the reaction from that person, you would, something in his urgency, mm-hmm. in his voice, anything. Nope. Just, yeah, dad. And of course, now I'm worried he's in the middle of the 101, and that exact exchange, word for word, happened. What's the traffic like? And his response, behind me it's bad, but it's moving in front of me. Yeah. He even said more. He yeah. even said more that doesn't, that's not in the bit. He continued to say, these people should thank me because I'm clearing up the traffic. He thinks they're ultimately getting home faster. Yeah. <laughs> because he's stopping this and then it's funny, yeah. And then I hung up and I called up, um, I think I called Highway Patrol or something because he he didn't know what, he's standing there, mm-hmm. whatever. And I didn't know, do I have to go get him, this? So I called up Highway Patrol and Highway Patrol said you have to call 911. They said if someone is on the highway, actually, not yeah. on the side, you got to call 911. I'm like, really? And then, yeah. So I, I dialed 911. I'm like, and, and it didn't follow through. I wish it would have because the bit would have been longer. Yeah. Because um, as soon as I dialed 911, I dialed on my office phone, my cell phone rang, and it was Joe saying, so they have a, 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 a tow truck service, you know, maintenance truck that just comes by, patrols the area. And he came and he pulled behind him. And he, Joe told me, uh, he came out and he said, what's happening? And he goes, I'm out of gas. And the guy kind of laughed <laughs> and went back to the truck <laughs> yeah, and got a can of gas, boom, boom. And he, and he made it home. Now that the crisis has ended, when do you start thinking like, oh, this is material? Well, I knew immediately that that line was, uh, on, I didn't want to let him know it, but it was hysterical. <laughs> the fact that he said that line. So I, I immediately, you know, I would, anytime he says weird stuff, I text it, you know, he said, this this is in my act also. He said, uh, he, my friend the other day said to me, hey, I, uh, my son told me that Joe is an ordained minister now. Like, well, what? <laughs> I guess online for like five bucks or whatever. Here's what pissed me off. Not that he did it, but when I asked him about it, I, I text him, Joe, are you an ordained minister? And his reply, pretty much. Uh, I'm gonna punch you, Joe. That's not the answer. That's not how you answer that question. That's the answer to did your rash go away? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much I'm an ordained minister. That is a line that I have to somehow get in my act, you know? So, yes, I elaborate a little. I kind of uh, make it that he called me. Yeah. And I make up that tone of voice that he has. Yeah, man, you know, this slacker kind of tone of voice. 
you know, that's not that's not what exa- exactly how it went down. Where are you doing this part of it? Like once you ha- you text that it's funny. Um, um, is this the thing you'll do? Oh before no! It? Well, that's the next time. So I go to Hamosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club when I'm here home, and I need to. I want to work something out. If I haven't been on stage in a while, and I'm going to go work at Vegas or somewhere, or or do a charity gig or something, and I haven't been on stage in a while, and I want to get the rust off, I go to the Hamosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club. I must have had a a night where I told them I was coming in, and what I like to do is kind of write down the bullet points, like I have to get to that line. I, I know, okay, I want to get to that line. I want to say he ran out of gas. I want to figure out an ending to it. And then I do it in the car on the way to the Hermosa Beach Comedy Magic Club out loud. I mean, that's just yeah. now. Before I would do it in, you know, in my house and under the mirror or whatever. And I usually go with a buddy of mine who's another comic and he drives... We meet. It's about a forty-minute drive. He drives, and I take my paper out, and in the car, I just blurt it out, and I and and I just keep saying it till something clicks. And he he'll give me some comments. Yeah. And so on the way to the Hamosa Beach Comedy Magic Club, I'm you know I'm trying to figure out a beginning to it, and my son just got a license. You know, and, oh, this kid shouldn't drive. You know, and just in the car on that ride, I came up with. The part about my wife saying maybe he'll become, which is totally fabricated. Yeah. That that is not true. At all. Is it based on a? F- a no, f- a, like not, no. Because like, my does wife, your wife have that perspective? No, on? my wife has the opposite. <laughs> Got <of that>. it. <laughs> my wife's harder on them than I am. Sure. <laughs> I'm the guy who stayed home till he was 29. Yeah. So I'm the guy who tells her, "I lived home till I was 29," and she's like, "Don't stop saying <laughs> that in front of them." And I make her sound a little like uh, Edith Bunker. You know, well, yeah. he's uh, he's yeah. Zen. Maybe he'll be an astronaut. And that's uh, yeah. I took a little liberty with that. An astronaut is what he thought of in the car. That, you, yes, I mean I got lucky there because that I just thought of that, and then a couple minutes, and then I said it again. Like I, I I run through it again in the car, and then the tag came to it. If he can't uh, interpret the gas gauge, and then I had to think of what's the What's the sound? And Mazda has the Z sound. You know, yeah. I tried a different a different number of cars in there. Um, do you think did you have Mazda the first night? Do you think? I think I did. And he wow. doesn't drive a Mazda. I don't know what he drives, but it wasn't funny. It what didn't fit. Yeah. yeah, it it was surprisingly intact the first time I did. It. In other words, sometimes you know, I'll do it and I'll do it and I'll keep doing it and then I'll get another line and another line. A lot of it was there the first time. It was one of those weird bits that just kind of fit. Real, real well. I want, I'm trying to think if anything came later. Oh, well, then the tag for um, if he bites but, her, yeah, well, that came later because then it was all a matter. Because of, did you uh, already have the basketball part? Yes, I think the basketball part was already there. So the callback to the bike probably came after I've done it. You know, about six or seven times, and I think that probably came on stage. You know, some of those callbacks come just in the moment. Yeah, yeah and if you're doing it. If you're doing that material in order, once you do it in order, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. What I find really impressive is how quickly you set up what is the point you're making. Like, though most of the joke is like, oh, it's the story, but at the very beginning, is uh, why do we give 16 year olds licenses? My son doesn't care about anything. Yes. You just say that and then you launch into the story. <laughs> yeah. When did you land on like the process of like, what are you? Setting it up, how do you? I imagine that takes a little bit more time once you're actually getting to the funny part. 
it, it just becomes, how do I get into this bit? Yeah. I mean, it becomes that simple. I want to talk about uh, Joe running out of gas. Uh, what's an organic way to get into that bit? You know, I don't think what's a what's something I could be talking about, yeah. you know? What's an issue I can be talking about? I know where it's going to go. It's going to come after Joe getting bit, right? Yeah. And me talking about can he dunk, you know? Maybe he'll dunk now. And matter of fact, he probably, I, I think I, I, he was probably 17 and a half when it happened, and he got his license at 16, so I had to do stretch the truth a little bit and say he just got his license. I, I think I think I might have thought of that segue on the way there, you know, because I thought that's an easy way to get into it. Yeah. I'll just say he got his license, and this kid shouldn't drive. Um, but I do think, I, th I think I'd say stuff before about how slacker he is, yeah. you know? This section is the, a portrait of this person. I don't write this. Yeah. I don't take credit for this, but the new the new one in my act is I say, I can't tell if he's the stupidest kid in the world or the deepest because he's, and this is all true, 100%. But when I say it, I, I say, uh, he says things I don't know how to react to. Uh, the other day he went to a party he came home at 6 a.m., and I happen to be up, and I hear him coming up the stairs, and I'm like, Joe, you're coming home at 6 a.m.? And he just keeps walking in his room, and he looks at me and goes, for now. And I, and I it blew my mind. I was like, I didn't know what to say, because yeah. you know, this, is, this is what I wrote. Because he's right, time time has no meaning. <laughs> I, I went back to my room, and my wife said, did you find out where he was? And I was like... Where are any of us? Are we here? Are we even here? But that was a quote, exact quote for yeah. now. <laughs> so, you know, my wife wants them to move out, but then I, I'm going to run out of a lot of material <laughs> if they move out. This bit in particular reflects, I think, a, a shift in a style where you've gotten really good at doing scenes where you sort of set up a thing and then you have multiple parts. Right. This one in particular, it's, there's essentially three characters and yourself as a narrator. Because you're you're in the moment with the audience, but then you're you, yes, and you're Joe, and you're, you're yes. Wife. You know, it's a shift now. You've written a you were on a sitcom. Yes. You were famously on this show yes. with your name in it. You worked on that forever. You then wrote. You've written since. Does your brain now more naturally just sort of take to the rhythm of scenes than you when you're starting out? I don't know. I mean, I I do know that a lot of my material now is is me taking on the voice of either my kids or my wife. You know, that's my life now. You know, back before when my kids were little, they didn't talk. You know, if they said <laughs> something silly, that was, you know, it was a cute thing that kids say. But now that they're people, you know, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just engaging with them more. And they're, 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 they're actually, they actually have a point of view and a thing and a comment they want to say. And, and we can have a conversation. It's just natural for me to write about that and to play their part and yeah. to play my, and my wife's been yelling at me forever but so it's easy to do her but um yeah i have i have more to act out now yeah. i'm not conscious of this is the way i write now yeah i mean the only thing i'm conscious of when i write material is i'll know when a bit is too cheap mm -hmm. and that's too hacky let's say yeah, for yeah. lack of a better word you know and 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 that's the only thing where i censor it and stop and say no that's not eh. That's not my style. In terms of like how you're portraying 
like, oh, this is a son, a joke about some dumb son, or this is a joke about like a nagging wife, as opposed to a specific. Portrayal. No, not the topic. Yeah, because the topic, my topics are not revelatory. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean anything. I yeah. mean, it's all, it's all about execution and what you do and all that. No, it's just the joke. It's just the the style of joke. You know, if it's, yeah, I mean, you know, what's when something seems played out and old and uh, and 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 it's too formulaic. I try, I try, you know, some those, that write, that writing will pop in my head and I'll maybe think about doing it, but then I'll shy away from it if it just feels too done. But that's not this, you know, then I, 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 I let the audience decide from the other stuff yeah. what's, what's funny, you know? When you do these scenes, you know, as you've gotten better at stand-up and as you've done more stand-up, you've also like gotten better at acting, you've done more acting. When you are, how in the moment are you when you're doing this? Like how much when you're doing your son, Joe, do you, are you? Well, there's a lot, you know, I mean, stand up, it's like any question with stand up. How much are you in the moment in any given set? And there are some where I'm just so there and it's, even though you've said it uh, hundreds of times, it feels fresh and, and, and electric. And there are times where your head's somewhere else and, oh, they don't really like me. Oh, this guy, look at that guy, not let, oh, you know. And, and then there are times where I heard Jay Leno say, sometimes when he does a long show like a Vegas hour and a half, he goes to sleep. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You think I'm, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm telling the truth, yeah, no, right? definitely. He no, says I he goes, and I, I was like you, I'm like, you don't go to sleep, really. Yeah. He says he goes into like a trance like sleep. He's so you know, it's 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 so rote or whatever. I haven't done that, but there are times where I've been on stage and this is usually when I'm doing a theater and the lights and you can't see the audience, you know. It's never in like a, it's pretty much never in a small club, but there are times where it almost gets scary. Like I hear myself talking. I'm yeah. beside myself. I'm like, oh shit! I'm like, get back in, get back in, and normally if I like, I'll I'll break from the material and talk to somebody, and that'll force me to <laughs> get in. Yeah, those are creepy. You you came up at a time where you did the material, you did your the, the material, you did your material, you did your act. Like mm -hmm. I think I, I've talked to Jerry Seinfeld. It's like you have your act, you do that, you do that because it's good, and you you had your act, you did it for about a lot of time and now the standard is to turn over and act much quicker do you how do you do you find yourself bored more easily or do you with material that you've had for a while or just generally do you find it boring not boring but just sort of I, like i mean look I, I there it's both sides because i did this stand-up i did this special now for netflix so now you don't have to retire that material but i guess you know you should yeah but I'm not a touring comic. I'm not, uh, you know, Mike Baberglia who tours everywhere and has Twitter followers and they follow him and they mm -hmm. pay attention and they see your special and they come to your show and they want to hear new stuff. I work. I work, you know, Vegas seven, six, eight times a year. I do charities. And I when I go to New York, I always go to the Comedy Cellar. So I always keep it going. But But I'm not like that where I have fans that just follow me and know my stand-up. So... I, I don't think I necessarily have to, 
But I think subconsciously, I won't feel right yeah. on stage thinking if they uh, you, that guy's so much special, he's going to know this joke. He's gonna know. Now, having said that, I I'm I'm a little upset because I still like doing a bunch of it. There's yeah. some of it where I'm bored doing it, and there but there's some of it like the new the new like like Joe the Joe driving bit. I I still like doing that. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, I don't want to, I really have to never do that that bit again. It's a conundrum right now. I have to decide how much. And I don't do as much. I'm not out there every night. You know, when I was making a living, I was doing 17 sets a week. Yeah. You know, three on Friday, five, six on Saturday, whatever. I had so much opportunity to test and try material. I don't, I don't do that much now. So coming up with another hour, uh, that seems daunting to me. How does the final version of a joke like this exist in your head? Because as a person who has a conversational tone, there's not, yeah. there's obviously the laugh lines or whatever. But every time I imagine it's different. How how do you sort of maintain that tone? I mean, it's so it's kind of done. But I think a lot of comics will say that you'll have a bit that you've had for a while, and then one night you'll just you'll find, oh, I was doing this angry and if i do it throw it in a way and then do this it's even funny you know it's little yeah. sh- stuff like that and there are some bits that are done and i know i have a bit where i i really like it and i think it's tight and sharp but i know this one little thing i'm i got lazy on yeah i think i can make that little thing better and it's in the special you get older. As you get older, you need different friends. Like when you're a teenager, the one friend you need is the first kid who has a car. You got to buddy up to that kid, right? Yeah. And then you hit your 20s, new kid now. Usually a sketchy kid. He can get, yeah, he can get shit. You don't know how he gets stuff. You don't ask. All you know is all of a sudden he can get you tickets to REO Speedwagon. Yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about. This table knows. That table knows. Yes, I'm sorry. I meant Coachella. Coachella tickets. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, there's got to be something better for a kid. And I, I never got it, but the rest of it came, so I, I just started doing the bit, and then I just didn't go back and fix that part. But so, <laughs> so for, for something like this that's so performance-heavy, like essentially it's like what will change is how you react the first time when Joe says... Oh, I'm in the middle. And yes. what will change the second time is like how you're pacing out your anger. Yes. And what you is that is that changing every night? And what in the beginning, I think in the beginning, yeah, it's changing the the tone of the tone of uh, of the bit of how, how angry I get, or maybe I can get more animated right here, you know, and get even more angry. You know, yeah. It, the frustration is funny. It is interesting. You it builds to like you're going. You want to I'm hit. Punch, I'm going to punch you, Joe. <laughs> You need to. <laughs> I'm gonna, no, I'm going to kick your ass, Joe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's tougher than I feel like. Partly because when you're, 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 when you're sort of your first, like I was thinking the Carnegie Hall album, you're not that tough with your kids, but also like you're talking about little kids, so you're not going to beat them up. Yeah, but yeah. You think it's just sort of like, okay, your audience is like fine if you say that, so you're just be like, they get that you're not beating. Also, this kid is bigger than you. I, I wonder a little bit about that when I just if anyone's going to, but I think. I think they get it. I think they know. Uh, I I'm not a threatening guy. Yeah. I'm, uh, um, and they probably know that Joe can kick my ass if he wanted to. He's six foot five. I say that up front. <laughs> um, 
But you know, it's funny because when I heard other comics who who do stuff about their kids and are even more, I mean, little, little kids, yeah, uh, even more aggressive and even more disparaging towards them, it cracks me up. And sometimes I would look at them and go, I wish I could do stuff like that, but yeah. I know my audience would weird out a little bit, you know? Have you, like, yeah. do you dip your toe into see, like, will you throw one line in, see how it goes, and you're like... Yes, I've done bits where I've said, nah, I gotta give that to Dave Attell. I can't do it. Not that Dave Attell needs any of my bits. Are there any that you can remember that you gave to Dave Attell? No, I didn't give it to Dave Attell, but I do remember, I did a bit very early about my father driving and what a curmudgeon he is and, and a misanthrope, and he everybody became a hump when he would drive. Everyone yeah. on the road was a hump. And the bit was, uh, you know, I, I then I became my father. Look at this hump trying to get by. Look at him trying to get in. And I'd be like, Dad, please, let the, let the fire truck go by, okay? <laughs> he goes, and then it's like, which I'm not proud of that line, but he goes, yeah. fire my ass. It's, you know, it's it's probably two for one on the Bavarian cream at Dunkin' Donuts, something like that. Yeah. And then he's just yelling at everybody, and, and then he gets to me, and he goes, uh, and you, you, Mr. Philosophy Major, $20,000 of my life wasted on that tree falls in the forest bullshit. I go, I hump, therefore I am, okay? Okay, that's all fine. And then I would close it with, who am I? Why am I here? You're here because 20 years ago, your mother wouldn't give me a blowjob like I asked for. Okay, so that I did. Yeah. And one night, Bill Grunfest, who started, I don't know if you know who Bill Grunfest is. He I started the Comedy Cellar. He's the one who... Went into the club and said, I would like to start stand up down in the basement. You know, they used to have Israeli folk music down there. Anyway, he came up to me and he said, he goes, Ray, I, he, he, you know, we were good friends and, and he really liked me. And he goes, I got to tell you, there's one line where you're like, the audience just pulls back. You just pull back and you lose them for a second. You get them back. He goes, but it's. Every time I see that line, I can tell the audience is is just not with you on that, you know? And I thought about it, and I listened a couple times, and then I took it out of my act. But, you know, probably 80% of the comics out there could say that line, yeah. and it's tame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there are times where I kind of wish I could get away with more, because I got a lot in there. <laughs> And I, you know, look, could I, I guess if I, if I, you know, there are personas on TV and then you see them do, you know, Brad Garrett, when yeah. people see Brad Garrett, they're not ready for, for what they, they think he's Robert from Everybody Loves Raymond yeah. or Bob Saget or look at Bob Saget, you know, but they don't, they stay true to who they are on stage. And I, and I could plow through and. And let the audience know, no, no, this is what I do now. But I don't really do. You know, there are yeah. exceptions. You know, there are exceptions. So yeah, because it's it, it, yeah. the problem is the rest of your act isn't going to yes. be like that, and right. it'll throw off the rhythm of your act. Right, right, right. But you know, in the locker room. <laughs> so I wanted to back up a little bit. Uh, nearly thirty years. So um, I was watching sort of the early stand-up, and there's some earlier, early, very early clips of you up. And there's, I think it's an evening in the improv, and you talked about you just had a kid. The hardest, I'll tell you, the hardest thing to do now is to try to sit down and write jokes, because all I do is try to make them laugh all day. That's what happens when you're a parent, you're a comedian for them. I can make them laugh, I can make an infant laugh in a second. I'll tell you, I'm losing my perspective on adult humor. 
I wrote one new joke since my twins were born. Here, is this funny? What do you think it is? Hi. Hi, everybody. All right. Thank God. I'm glad. I'm glad you laughed. If you didn't laugh at that, I would have had to come and rub my nose in your bellies. Yeah. Oh. And forget it. The show runs late. Yeah, yeah. Where, where is it? Where is it from? Evening at the Improv. Evening at the Improv is the first time. Because that saw. was letter. That was my first joke on my Letterman oh, really? spot. Yeah. Did it feel like a breakthrough for you? Like you had been doing comedy at that point for a while, but like having a kid in that joke, did it feel like the audience responded in a different way? Was there something about you? Like, oh, there's I think something? when I, I think, um, like there's a, there's another line where I say uh, when my twins were born, after my twins were born. So now I had a two-year-old girl and then twin boys. And we were living in Queens in a little tiny house. And when I did the line, um, I said, I have a three-year-old girl and twin one-year-olds. Yeah, and the audience could just go, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, uh, I don't really care if you laugh or not. I'm just happy to be out of the house right now, right? So I do that, and I think that was what kind of uh, introduced me to this mm -hmm. line of, you know, being a parent is great, but holy shit, <laughs> you know? And, and how trying it is and how tired you are. And, and then I would do bits about... Uh, 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 wanting to get out of the house, you know, um, and and the uh, you know, and this is the thing I was talking about yeah. with the other comics when they when they go even harder about how hard it is to have kids and how much they piss you off and this and that. The connection, the people laughing, and they don't, they almost feel guilty laughing at it, but they know deep down, yes, that's how I feel. You love them, but oh my God, I want to get away from them sometimes, you know? Um, I think that set me off a little onto yeah. a nice, uh, 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 you know, hook there. Not a hook, but 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 my- A direction. Yeah, my direction, yeah. You know, first it was being married and talking about that, but but I think the, the, the harried parent kind of- uh, got to another level for me. Does your family or has your family felt like a muse? I always run it by them a little, you know? Hey, man, you know, you <laughs> no, yeah, you know. I don't know if it's going to be different now that they're people. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel there's a line, I think, in Men of a Certain Age, a character says, like, so you're just, you're their parent the entire time? Or it's like, you're like, you're their parent for forever. And forever. you're like, yeah, that's kind of the deal. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think that's what's interesting. It's like, oh, you you had jokes about them as two-year-olds, and now you have jokes about yes. them as 29-year-olds. Yes, yes, yes. They're not 29 yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you will have jokes yeah. by the time the next special comes out. Yeah, I mean, my wife definitely feels like she's the source of, yeah. of so much, you know? If my wife left me, I'm on that side of the microphone. Yeah. I don't have... What do I have? I have a lot. I still have a lot of money because half yeah. of all my money is still a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have no act. I have no act. <laughs> you mentioned you run things by your kids. I think what's interesting the difference between your wife and your kids is that your wife was a person before she met you, and then she yes. became part of your act, and you've talked about it. But your kids, have mm. you talked about how they live and their that anything they can do is part of sort of your 
the family business in, in some way. What do you mean? I'm not sure. Well, I'm, like their their entire life, they know what they do could be part of your act. Like they, oh. that's like it's just natural to them. Or yeah. like your wife knows yeah. that's not how life is. You know? Oh, I see. I see. I think in the beginning, though, the stand up wasn't. They weren't conscious uh, as conscious of the stand up as they were as of the TV show. Yeah. It's a weird way to to come up. Yeah. And it wasn't easy for them. I don't want to get uh, I don't want to get serious here, but when my show ended, when Raymond ended, you know, I told you see that I took it yeah. like my kids took it even harder than me cuz that was their world. Mm-hmm. That was dad that was where dad that was dad's universe. That was you know, they were two, the twins were um they were four when it started, or three, and they were twelve when it ended. So they didn't know anything else except yeah. go to, and they would come to the show and this and that. So that, that when that ended, there was uh, a lot of anxiety for them and and trying to figure out. Yeah, it was it was rough. You know, my wife and everybody else is so f- far not in the business mm-hmm. that it, you know, there I, I I think and I hope that they're pretty grounded. You know, I'm the only one that this has happened to. Everything else is everyday life for them, but uh, I feel guilty. <laughs> in interviews, uh, you've joked that if your dad if your dad hugged you once, you would be an accountant. Yeah. About how sort of he wasn't demonstrative, and I've heard you talk about how when you have characters in movies, you'll write backstories, and often you'll put in something about. Yeah, I do the dad too much. But other than sort of that joke, you said that you didn't even keep me your act. Your dad does not like become. It's not a big feature in your material. It's early, early, very early. early. The hump it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like that said? You have a lot of material about being a father. Like, do you yes. feel like doing materials about being a father is a way you can sort of address it a little bit in your act? Do you, or does it even feel that way personally, as a on sort of a cathartic level? Yeah, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, I don't think if my father was a stand-up, I don't think there'd be. A lot of material about us, <laughs> unless it's how he never said "I love you." <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it gets that deep, really. You know, uh, yes, I I do believe he's the reason why I need to do this. You know, kind of way down there somewhere. But I guess it's like, do you think it caused an interest in fatherhood creatively? I mean, I guess in the sense that it caused an interest just in real life so you know creatively i just talk about what is real life for me so indirectly yeah i mean i guess by the way he had a sense of humor too yeah i mean i i, I mean if I, I have to try to figure out where my sense of humor came from he had the warped dry dry sense of humor um and when we were old enough to not kind of be scared of him it, then it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it was, oh, that's funny, Dad. No, don't take the belt off. Oh, this is taking a turn, this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so the part of the special that's really unique is instead of sort of renting a theater or arena or whatever and yes. doing in front of 3,000 people, um, you do it as a, a drop-in at the Comedy Cellar and then the Village Underground, which is around the corner, where you're Ray Romano. A lot of people will have known you, not that many people. Some of those people might not have seen your stand-up before, yes. but they'll know you, uh, and there's... The Jerry Seinfeld idea that you get ten free minutes. Yeah, I think you, some people say three minutes. You know, yeah. you know. What I don't I'm think it's ten. What? I guess, so I guess, what does it mean for you for this joke to be told in front of an audience where it seems like literally none of them have a teenage kid and works? You think that's true? 
That was fairly young, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially the Village Underground. I feel it's yeah. It's not the youngest credits. Uh, I made sure it was the early show. Yes. <laughs> but they've all been teenagers. Yes. And I think it's fun. I don't think you have to have a teenager to know that that's funny. You have to have a teenager to experience it from that point of view of how frustrating it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it works. Like it really. It's the biggest laugh I think of. One of the biggest laughs of the special. Yeah. Well, because that's even if an adult said that, it's. Freaking moronic. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Uh, it's funny no matter who said it, but 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 it it does add to it to be the parent of that person. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that's always my concern is is uh, you know will they identify with that the, the parent stuff? But I think it stands. I think it's funny on on its own, even if you're not a parent. I mean, I think you can. I mean, yeah. it, I, I guess the, I guess what I'm trying to ask is you've talked about. Um, I was rewatching the 95 miles to go, go, go. go. Mm. And there's a part where sort of feelings that a lot of creative people have of being insecure about certain things or feeling like a fraud. And I think what I'm trying to ask about is the sort of the experience that happens a lot when you're younger, which is convincing an audience that you're this funny person. Yeah. Uh, That is hard to do now. What, I guess it's sort of. I miss that. That's what I miss. What is the, what is the feeling that you get out of it? And what do you do? I miss, and, did, and you I, feel like you get it in the special a little bit. This is it's sounds stupid to say you missed this because this was the hard part. <clears throat> the hard part was going up in front of everybody's a stranger. Nobody has ever seen you. They paid their cover. Here it is. They're not doing this on purpose, but it's make me laugh. It's yeah. make me laugh. I don't know who you are. I'm going to find out your persona now as you start speaking. When I see you, when you walk up, uh, um, and you have to win them over. That that can never happen again, and I'm not. This sounds a little pompous. Like everyone's going to know. There's going to be people who maybe have not seen me do stand up, maybe have not seen me do the TV show, but not everybody in that audience. There's going to be enough in that audience that you are going to get what Seinfeld says. But yeah, as I'm getting older now, people who maybe have heard of me or have seen me peripherally somewhere, but they don't know. They're not fans of mine. Yeah, and that kind of was part of the reason I wanted to do it in in the cl- unannounced in the club. You had been it, noticing it, that there'd been a little bit different a little bit less recognition. I want to say yes, but when I go up on the like when I pop into the cellar, when I go to New York and I just pop in unannounced like anybody like like Amy Schumer does like uh Chris Rock. Yeah, right. There's a significant difference in the cheers when yeah. you go up. Yeah. That's still there. That's still there. But I don't. But I still don't. First of all, in that club alone, there's a lot of out of towners, a lot of people from from Europe, a lot of people yeah, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So they're not familiar with you. Yeah. So you. So listen, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm not an idiot. I know. I'm. Uh, I'm getting a little leeway. I'm getting. It's going to be easier for me than the than the comic before in the very beginning. Yeah. Yes. But it's still there's still an energy to it of. People who have never seen me, they know, hey, well, but he's somebody, uh, yeah, and just kind of winning them over, proving to them that you can do this. Yeah. It's um, interesting because it's like before you're talking about how you'd have that, that opening line of like, oh, I have these kids and I'm just happy to get out of the house. And that's yes. and immediately set, ex, in that audience goes, I know the next 15 minutes, I'm comfortable. Yes. Where now in both sets, you immediately try to be like, this you're not, not going to like good. this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's your safety net. That's your safety net. See, I told you. 
Yeah. Um, well, it's all self, you know, disp- you know, self-deprecating. I mean, yeah. You don't do some comedians will like say. I mean, because we'll do certain material where they'll lose an audience, and you don't do that. Some you you there's certain things you do to sort of lower the energy so you can start fresh. Sometimes to me, the most important thing, like if I'm doing a corporate gig or something like that. Is what is my what is the segue to the first laugh? You know, what is it that's going to feel natural? Like so, even if it doesn't get a laugh, it it doesn't knock you back a few steps. Yeah, that's the most important thing, and 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 have it feel like you're just extemporaneously like you're just saying it now. And one of those things is I have to stop doing this. Because when I go on at the cellar, it's that big cheer, and let me tell you, something, we're both going to be disappointed. So it's so it feels it feels improv-y and, and yeah. on the spot, and it, so and it gets the laugh. But I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> the new one is is uh, you know with the cellar, it's like is where it all started. It all yeah. started to get cheer. I, in the in the special I do one duh, that I don't do. I wish I had done was uh, I go. You weren't born yet. You were not born. This whole front row wasn't born. You were around. You were around. <laughs> I find a guy who was a little yeah, bit older. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Instead, I did that other line about um, the you watch weren't up. in the country yet. You were on the no-fly list, which I wish I kind of didn't do. You have a saying or a thing that you've said that, that I like so much, which is, uh, no matter what, in 100 years, all new people. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I got to be honest. I didn't make that up. I didn't make that. That was in Men of a Certain Age. Oh, so someone else. Oh, interesting. So you. We, 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 I, I've seen that quote. And I and I've repeated it. I don't claim to make it up. Oh, right? So it's a yeah. it's a line from Minister of the Age, I guess, that yes. I, I associate with you. And you've yes. said, can you think about people in a hundred years watching this special, and what what do you hope they can get out of it? I've thought about that. I've thought about what kind of comedy holds up. If you watch, I'm not. I won't mention any names, but if you watch comedians from the '50s and the '60s, most of it doesn't hold up. And and that's just culturally and yeah. everything changes, but some does. There are some. I don't know why the honeymooners holds up. So what is it? I don't know if mine will. You know, mine's personal. I think maybe it has a chance only because it's about relationships and 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 I don't think technology can get rid of that. I mean, it'll change it a little. <laughs> I remember the, my first. When I did the Tonight Show, my, I only did it once, and it was ni- 1991. And my closing bit was about, uh, was it my closing bit? It was about my wife wants to get a car phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I know this. Car phone. phone. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. And it just sounds so dated. And, you know, so this, soon they'll have phones yeah, here. Phones that you can put in your ear. And I'm like, well, yeah. But that's I mean that's yeah. that's obviously going to happen. But people have yeah, sons yeah. in a hundred years. Right? Yes, and they're going to be frustrated, and they're going to and and I think I I don't know you know, but they may not drive. They won't be driving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, take technology out of the picture, you can never tell. But I think I I I I hope it does hold up. That's one of my fears. Is can't that's one of the reasons I did this I did this special was when is that cutoff point where my stuff is going to hold up you know and i said L- you know what let's get it down now <laughs> i think i'm a, i think uh i'm rounding third on that one <laughs> <laughs> 
So that sound means it's time for our, our final segment. It's the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's a comedy, it's a laughing round. <laughs> you told me this wouldn't happen. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a, a favorite joke joke, like a street joke? You know, when David Spade and I do uh, uh, Vegas, we co-headline and we close with a joke. We each, we come back and do Q&A. And he has one that kills, he he can't, we, we laugh about it. I go, you 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 can't kill that joke. You you mumble it, you say it wrong, and it kills every time. And then I have one that I have to follow him. And it's a little long, though. Mr. Greenberg wakes up in the emergency room, and the doctor says, uh, Mr. Greenberg, you, uh, you had a car accident. You're fine. Um, the bad news is uh, we couldn't save your penis, but we can uh, reconstruct it now. It's um, We understand you're going to receive $12,000 from the insurance company. Do you know this, Joe? No. Uh, it's $1,000 an inch. He goes, now you may want to spend the whole money, all of it. You should talk that over with your wife. On the other hand, you may want to only spend five or four or 5000 You That's another talk with your wife. There's no rush. Go home. Come back, and we can figure it out. So Mr. Greenberg leaves. comes back a week later. The doctor says, oh, Mr. Greenberg, did you talk it over with your wife? He goes, I did. He goes, and, and what did you decide? Uh, we're getting granite countertops. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I close with. Spades, Spades is a 90-year-old couple on their birthday. I can't do Spades. Uh, 90-year-old couple on their birthday. Uh, the man's in bed. The woman goes in the bathroom. 90-year-old woman, she comes out naked with a cape. And the old man looks at her, and she goes, super pussy. And he says, I'll take the soup. <laughs> is there a joke that you wish uh, sort of you could, like another comedian's joke that you wish you could steal All so right. that it was never... In their act, it was always just a joke that you could have that you could incorporate into your career. There's lines that, God, I wish I did that. There's one from Brian Regan, so subtle. And he says, uh, I was on the highway driving and I saw a flatbed truck of logs going this way. And then I saw another flatbed truck of logs going that way. I mean, if if you need logs over there, <laughs> that's it. That's the bit. And um, it, it's so perfect because there's no punchline, and yet it's so funny. Yeah. Can you do an impression of yourself? People say I sound like Kermit, and when I do an impression of myself, I really sound like Kermit. Oh, I'm a That's a hack bit now. Doing an impression of me is, is kind of hack, right? It's like... It's, 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 it's added to the pantheon of hack impressions. I feel like that's probably nice. Well, that's how I met Pete Holmes, because he was doing Ray Romano Sings Christmas Carols on YouTube. Talk the herald angels sing. Now, in my head, that sounds like Pete Holmes doing me. Yeah. Yeah. But if really, it would just be me saying, Talk the herald. <laughs> Which one sounds more like me? That's, that's the grand question. Yeah. That's it. That's the end Ah, oh, shit. Fix it. That's it for another episode of Good One. Ray Romano's Right Here Around the Corner is available on Netflix. Good One is produced by Mike Comite with production assistance from Marissa Melnick and research help from Matthew Silver and Rebecca Alter. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.